Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast, the only podcast that thinks that 24 Hours at Le Mans sounds like the uh, perfect title for the world's longest gay porno. <laughs> I think uh, Canadian Grand Prix felt longer than 24 Hours <laughs> in Le Mans. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there definitely was a small feat of endurance of uh, making it through to the end of the uh, last Formula One Grand Prix. Um, I guess before we start, let's say uh, a big uh, congratulations to Nico Hulkenberg. Very pleased, very pleased for him. What a result um, in his uh, in his first Le Mans, um, and rather, I, I don't know. I, I put this out on Twitter. I, I felt it was a bit of a shame, really, that um, we didn't, in the end, have more F1 drivers. That Alonso wasn't allowed to take part, or had agreed not to take part as part of his McLaren contract. Um, uh, there's been some big crashes at Le Mans. There's that's for sure. But um, you know, nothing really like that this this race. So why couldn't they have taken part? I guess is the is the thing to to wonder about, but still nice to see uh, Nico showing that his talent is not just uh, solely confined to driving a Force India in the midfield. Yeah, it's good to show that to see that he can, what he can do with a car that's capable of winning a race. You know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He might get one of them some point, maybe in about twenty twenty five or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When uh, when it's <laughs> Formula One's being powered by uh, two hamsters in a wheel or something, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <clears throat> so, as we have alluded to, it was the Canadian Grand Prix uh, last time out. Uh, now, you've probably all listened to other podcasts in between time, and pretty much all they've been doing is complaining about how terribly boring the race was. And I will say from the outset that we are not going to say anything different at this point. Um, we totally agree with pretty much everything that's been said. So what we'll try not to do is spend too much time complaining about how poor the racing was in reality um we'll concentrate on what was good in the race and and see where we get to this may however make this the shortest podcast we've ever done <laughs> um well, <laughs> we'll give it a go folks thank, we'll... thank god for sebastian vettel uh <laughs> it's not it... often you thought we you'd have heard us saying that realistically overtaken is it overtaken under red flag in practice uh giving him the penalty and then he the engine problems as well in qualifying, I think, didn't he? It was a combination of things that basically resulted him starting at the back of the grid. And, you know, if it wasn't for him charging his way through the field, yeah, there wouldn't have been an awful lot to to see, put it that way. No. No, and I, and, uh, and I guess another shout-out for, for Felipe Massa for doing yeah, f- fairly the same sort of thing, really. Um, Just didn't quite have the speed to, to keep Rivetto. In the end, I think they did slightly different strategies, and uh, I think Vettel, Vettel was fairly comfortable in his, his fight did with Massa. Sebastian start on the um, what we call the normal strategy, and Massa went for the different one, or was it the other way around? I can't remember. I'm sure they didn't start on the same tyres. Uh, Massa went longer, I think, and Vettel pitted. Uh, like pretty quickly. Yeah, I think I think uh, Vettel had the, the super the soft didn't he, or the soft, yeah. soft, and then Massa went on the contrary one, which was the slower one to try and be faster later on. Um, but yeah, some real good, um, solid overtaking moves from all of those, and it was nice to see um, 
you know, things like the massage duel with Ericsson kind of going on. Yeah, that was really good. I was impressed by Ericsson, you know, for about two laps, and then he, as soon as Massa passed him, he just... <laughs> yes, he rather disappeared. Disappeared and went backwards the whole way. But it was some good defensive driving there. Like Massa's passing to turn one was like it was some good wheel to wheel stuff, uh, which we haven't really seen a lot from Ericsson. Uh, but um, like I say he just kind of went backwards after. That. I don't know whether it's the Sauber's not probably might be a bit harsh on Ericsson because I don't think well Massa had the greatest weekend <laughs> either, did he? So, no, no, two uh, laps down by the end of it. Although he yeah, had. So. Did he had some had some trouble somewhere? I can't remember. Um, problem with the there being so little to remember from it. You just it kind of blanked from my memory. Um, Either way, the Cerberus didn't really have a lot no, of this year. I think it was surprising. That, I, I think it was lucky that Ericsson was on the the softer of the tires compared to to Massa. Otherwise, I don't think he would have been quite quite as lucky to you know be able to keep him behind for for quite that long but um yeah there was some there was some good sort of uh, wheel to wheel action going on in bits and pieces here and there um from the start um well let's talk about our race winner um and second place all in one go because i think it's pretty much it was their race to race against one another um lewis picking up a fairly comfortable win in the end i think um, mm-hmm. ahead of uh, Nico Rosberg. Strange, strange race, really. Um, all seemed to be going fine until that sort of uh, about twenty twenty odd laps in, wasn't it? Where um, Lewis had got his first call to lift and coast, um, and then Nico was told to manage a a, a brake issue. Um, but there was a point in the middle of the race where where Nico was clearly gaining on. On Lewis, and it, it it seemed really odd that at that point his race engineer popped on and said, um, "Don't push now, save until last ten laps of the race, like at lap thirty or or forty or something like that." Yeah, and it, in a seventy lap race, <laughs> so you might as well just if you fast forward for the next twenty laps. Then, if that's the way it's going to be, and that I mean, that's what literally happened because he got up to he got up to less than a second, didn't he, for a lap. Uh, and then dropped back to three or four seconds, like almost, almost within a couple of laps, and it just seemed like that. I, I didn't understand it. Like, I, I, I've mentioned it a couple of times on the internet, but and I, I just wonder if Mercedes have worked out how to employ team orders without employing team orders. In that, what they've found is that. With the way that the overtaking is and um, the way that the cars work when they're following and and all of those bits and pieces, that barring any mechanical issue affecting the lead car, the secondary car is never going to be able to overtake when the machinery is equal. So if they're on the same tyre strategy at the same point in the race, they're not saving fuel and they're not, you know... Saving brakes only bits and pieces. Car one comes first. Car one, car two comes second, and that's just the way it's always going to be. I you think don't, so. You don't need to tell Nico to say, uh, you know, we've gotten here uh, and we want the one two, um, so no overtaking for the next thirty laps, because then they get pilloried, wouldn't they? They'd be absolutely, mm-hmm. 
absolutely knackered. But if all they've got to do is say, wait until after the second pit stop uh, and then attack in the last 10 laps, well, the chances of that actually coming off, it sounds plausible. You know, it sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Uh, oh, don't don't try and overstress yourself now. Wait until the end and then really go for it. But then by that point, the guy in front, you know, his tyres are a lap different because he's probably pitted first. So he's he's got one lap down on you. But he's not running in dirty air. So, you know, his tyres are going to probably fare better than you running behind him anyway. Um, and, and he can just pull out the time when he needs to. He doesn't need to push hard to stay in front of you. Um, he can just kind of do what he wants. Yeah, it's like equal machinery, equal tyres, equal fuel. And this is where, you know, some people will disagree, but relatively equal talent is going to <laughs> maintain status quo. One is never going to be in... Two is never going to be able to pass one because everything's generally equal. Yeah. I mean, you're not... Even and, if- and, and if Rosberg... Rosberg did it in, when, in the last couple of races that Rosberg won. He was in front and Lewis couldn't get by. Lewis was on the radio saying, I can't get by. So... It's not like it just happens when Lewis is in front of Nico. Oh no, it's this it's, is just the state. It's just the way the, the current the, game is at the moment. Yeah. It's the Mercedes team strategy. It's the it's the strategy that suits the team the most, which is that they get the most number of one twos, score the most amount of constructors points, and then at some point, sure, they'll have to make a decision about who's you know who's going to win the title, and it'll be whoever's ahead, you know, and probably until it's either mathematically not possible or there becomes a clear enough point that um, without something serious going on uh, one person's pretty much going to win it um, the, there's no reason to behave any otherwise is there no. Um, no and basically what it means is now that whoever wins whoever gets pole position is probably going to win the race you know <laughs> barring any mechanical issues generally going to win the race and obviously Monaco slight anomaly because of the, the craziness that happened there but he would have, though, wouldn't he? I mean, he, that was yeah, the point. He would have if it wasn't for the silliness. And I think Nico took pole the week before. Uh, was it Catalonia, which was before Monaco? Mm-hmm. Nico took pole in Catalonia, I think. Is that am I right? Um, yes, uh, yeah. And 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 then so. and finished ahead. So uh, you know, and I, I I think that was only masked really by the fact that um, you know. Um, you're having Vettel occasionally pop up in the in between times when things don't necessarily go right, and it's really only he's dropping back because of the occasional pit stop error. Do you know what I mean? It's not a case that um, you know strategy is being compromised. Um, and uh, no. uh, I, I've put this out there a couple of times, and some people seem to see it, and some people seem to disagree, or seem to take it that in some way that means that Lewis doesn't deserve his wins. That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, it's not about saying, oh well. Lewis is only winning because the team want it to be a one-two. What I'm saying is, so long as Lewis keeps on, you know, beating Nico in pole and being faster than him generally, he's pretty much always going to win because that's that's the strategy that then leads on from there. Um, mm-hmm. So so long as he keeps on doing that, fair enough. Do you know what I mean? He's done what exactly he needs to do. Yeah, we're not taking anything away from Lewis. We're that's smart, it. you know. Yeah, Lewis isn't. Lewis isn't, and it's. Uh, you know, I'm surprised myself a little bit by saying this, but he's not really the bad guy here. No, no, he's and he's not at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's just, and neither's Nico or or, or any no. of either of the drivers. They're, you know, 
they can only do what the, the pit tells them. They're completely reliant on the information the pit tells them. So if they say, you know, your brakes are hot, they'll have to slow down. They don't know how hot the brakes are or how long they necessarily would have to do it, or even if they are hot. I mean, that's a bit conspiracy theorist. But the whole point is, is that what? how can they, you know, unless you ban all radio communications and just make it through pop-ups on the steering wheel, they're not going to know. They can't know that detail. So they have to do what they're told. And if they're told to wait for the last 10 minutes to attack, that's what they're going to do. You know, that's that's not a fault on them as drivers either because it's just the way that the sport is. Uh, which kind of leads me on to another interesting point um, that was raised. Uh, I don't think... I think I retweeted the article, but I don't think I put it on the Facebook. If I can find it, I will uh, I will put it up on our, on our Facebook page for people to read because it's a really excellent read. Um, and it kind of led on because Martin Brundle came out and said... Um, Formula One has kind of always been about management, but when I was driving, we had to manage gearbox and crankshafts and all the other bits and pieces, not just tires and brakes and bits and pieces. Um, and he was kind of where what he his point was was that there was so much information flying about. That's what makes it f- puts fans off that they feel that the drivers are being coached in bits and pieces. Um, but then another journalist, and like I said, I can't remember who it is, and I'll try and find the the article. Uh, was pointing out that um, with the way that the difference between the cars then and now is that um, because they can't monitor everything, because uh, they couldn't monitor, monitor everything when Martin Brundle was driving, things were built with some amount of you know extra um, extra reliability built in. Things were stronger to try and last because you couldn't tell necessarily, you know, you didn't know that this was overheating or this was under stress or, or whatever. But nowadays, every single thing on a Formula One car is monitored. Um, so what they can do is is then if there's a problem with any one of these parts, is that they can do something to fix it. If it's brakes, then they can, they can brake earlier and not as hard. If it's fuel, they can lift and coast. And what that means is, is that the, the parts, so instead of having, say, a brake, you know, that is more stable and more reliable... The brakes become thinner and lighter because that saves you 0.2 seconds a lap. And over 70 laps, that's a lot of time. Now, if the brakes get hot and you have to slow down and cool them, so long as you don't lose more than the time you gain by having the lighter but less reliable component on, then it's a win-win situation. You can't lose. So if if having a, a set of brakes that... Um, give you 0.2 seconds gives you I don't know 30 seconds advantage compared to a heavier brake set that's more reliable and probably doesn't need to be worked on so long as you don't lose 30 seconds across a race managing your brakes you win Mm -hmm. and because the margins are that fine all the parts on the car are like that so your brakes are like that the gearbox is like that the tyres are like that everything that the driver is being asked to manage is like that it's monitored and then there is something that they can do if there starts to become a problem with it. And so that's that's the problem with Formula One, is that the teams monitor the cars, know exactly what's going on too. As soon as they see something goes up, they ask the, they ask the driver to manage the situation. Instead of the driver feeling that the brakes are going off or feeling that there's a problem in the gearbox or something along those lines, and then working out that that's what they've got to do, and then 
that's what they had to do in the past. Do you know what I mean? You managed issues yeah. in the car as you're going along, but the parts were generally more reliable because you couldn't monitor them every single second. So you you had to build some give into the into the cars, um, and that's where you get the situation that we we had in Canada, where Nico Rosberg is managing a brake issue, and Lewis Hamilton is managing a fuel issue, and although although fuel isn't a part of the car, it still falls under the same parameters that they short fuel the cars for exactly the same reason. That yeah. as long as the time that you save from short fueling and having having to lift and coast to save fuel if you use too much is still less than what it would have been to have carried that fuel from the start, then you've made time up without doing any without doing any work at all, without having to go faster. So that's I think, and it was such a good article. I'll have to find it and put it out there. But it just made me this go. That is exactly what is wrong with Formula One, is that. Everything is a job of management. Mm-hmm. I completely, one hundred percent agree. Um, and, and the drivers should—the drivers should still do some management. You know, that's always been a part of the of the thing. You know, managing your tires, managing your brakes, and managing the other things that the driver can do. But it's the fact that the garage now tells the driver what to manage. That's our problem. So, what's the solution? Well, <laughs> I guess the solution is radio silence to some degree or another. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think they, they, the radio ban in a way has kind of helped somewhat because they shouldn't be saying quite as much uh, as they were before. Although there was a surprising amount of information being given to Lewis about Nico's situation uh, that Lewis was uh, that Nico wasn't getting back, and I don't know whether that's because uh, I'm assuming that's because either side of the garage has interpreted what they can and can't say slightly differently. Um, rather that's than the problem. Being... A lot of it's open to interpretation. With like. Loses one in Monaco. How was I in that corner? Can't tell you that. Well, how's the weather? Weather is good, you know? Yeah. There's always going to be ways of getting around it. So, do you ban it completely? Yeah, well, it's, it's weird, isn't it? I, I think... Or I do think... you try and ban the, the elements of the car that uh, give the garage this information? Yeah, I... Do you I, ban I... the sensors? Do you ban <laughs> things like that? I think maybe that's something... I think you give the the team... The information. I, I think it's a. I think you've got to be able to say that their team then can't tell the driver how to manage it. They can maybe warn him, but not. It, it shouldn't be a case like Lewis was being literally told. Um, really lifting told, coast yeah. fifty yards. Yeah. Lifting yeah. coast a hundred yards, and then it's like, well, I don't want to hear that. I don't mind if he knows what, and I don't want to know if he's marginal on fuel. I just need him to understand if he's low on fuel or not. So I don't really want the driver to be told what his like uh, his usage is. Do you know what I mean? How much is he using? I yeah. want, only want him to know how much he's used so we can go, right, I've got 65 laps of fuel on here. If I look at my dash now, I've used 36 laps of fuel, but I'm only 34 laps into the race. Okay, I know I've got to save two laps of fuel, I better do some it, lift and coast. Then that's fine. Just make it like a road car and give them just a little thing on their dash. little fuel gauge. Yep. Yeah, that's all they should have. Nothing else. Ban all the toys. <laughs> <laughs> We're going radical, that's it. We've lost our minds. You're listening to The Last Lap Podcast. The home of F1 banter. With Andy and Sean at www lastlappodcast.co.uk and, and things like you know surely things like brake temperature the driver should feel that shouldn't they 
when when your brakes get too hot, they don't work as well. I I, I am led to believe. Is is this not the case that you know? Putting cars under stress makes them perform badly. So the drivers should be able to understand and feel what the difference between a car with good temperature in its brakes and too much temperature in its brakes is, or too little. They certainly know what it's like when there's too little in there, don't they? Because the car doesn't doesn't stop. So, you know, if they're locking up all the time, maybe their brakes are too hot. Maybe they've got to do something to try and cool the brakes. See if that brings the car back. But I don't want them to be told, your brakes are two degrees Celsius too hot. Um, you know, two, two laps of... Of light braking, you'll be fine. Yeah. That's. It, it isn't the. It's not it, fun, is it? It just <laughs> takes away. It takes away the element of surprise and unpredictability and stuff that you know Formula One has kind of been built upon. Uh, you, you. I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm kind of thinking as I go. Well, I know, and I think that's the thing. And <laughs> and I've again, I've said it. You know, out there, I don't really know what the answer is. There, I'm not. You know, I think there's lots of things wrong with the rules, but I don't don't necessarily feel that it's Mercedes' fault that they're wrong. They've just done the best within them. Mm-hmm, I agree. And it, with that. and it does feel a little unfair to say, well. You're running away with him. Let's change the regulations because we've been doing that for like the last ten years, and arbitrary rule changes that aren't something general, like you know, like refueling would be. It is a thing. It affects all teams equally. It doesn't. It's not there to penalise a team for a specific thing, like taking away the double diffuser or saying that Merck have to take off or give out a piece of technology on their engines or something like that. That would yeah, be a I penalty agree. to them. Um, I'm not really looking for that. I'm looking for more, a more general change to the sporting regulations, like refuel and like, I don't know. I'm not saying I'm in favour or not in favour of this, but for example, taking away the the radio, like something like you say that's going to affect every team across the grid to yeah. an extent equally. I, I, that's what I'm looking for with the sport. Not let's take away Mercedes toys or let's take away. A wing that a team have developed, yeah, something like that. I, I don't, I don't want that. I kind of want the opposite of that. <laughs> I, I want I, teams I, to be innovative and, and and come up with good ideas. Exactly. I want, I want somebody to do the rule that says you can be creative in your application of the ERS power, and see if somebody says, you know, see if somebody can come up with an interesting way, other than a go faster button, you know. Is there a way that you could use that to smooth out power to give your car a better advantage in here that might do something interesting? Do you know, if the if the ERS is applied in a way to, um, you know, improve the stability of, of a car that's driving, they're going to drive a little bit faster. You know, it's going to give them something without giving them a maybe necessarily a huge advantage. I don't know. I'm not an F1 techie enough to understand whether that's a possibility or whether ERS can work in that way, but. That's the thing I, I want to see is that we're not, you know, I want to see the opposite of the engine freeze. I want to see there being, you know, room for people to design new and interesting things on the cars that give them an instantaneous advantage, something out of nowhere. Somebody comes up with a bloody good idea, then let's see it on the car and see what happens. And then, you know, if it turns out that you think it's dangerous or something like that, then then that's fine and take it away. But but give everybody the chance to do it. Don't say, well, the way that we're going to sort all this out is by 
freezing the engine bit by bit to try and make you know make the sport cheaper or something like that. I don't. I don't think that's that's not the right way to go to to change the spectacle of the sport. I agree. The thing, the, the kind of regulations that I I want to see tweaked are the, are the regulations that are going to affect two guys battling over ninth and tenth exactly the same as the two guys that are battling over first and second. I think that's a good way to put it. So it's not like we're just trying to hamper top teams or anything like that to bring the field closer together. It's just a more general, right now, it isn't quite right kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when we don't... across the board, you know, it's not just what's going on up the front. No, it's boring up the front, but it's boring going back the way as well. Uh, to me, it's like if Raikkonen hadn't been the car and and the hairpin, he probably would have came third. Yep. Uh, I don't think Williams would have had the ability to beat him otherwise, and I don't think uh, Lotuses would have had the ability to to beat the team in front of them. And and generally, if you go through the field it's a bit like that so it's not just up the front where we're getting stalemates it's all the way through the field kind of unless you've got a substantially quicker car like sebastian coming through the pack it's generally there's lots of little mini stalemates kind of going through the field and you'll get a bit of i don't want to use the word it's big almost cliched but artificial overtaking when somebody's on really brand new tires and the other guys on older tires or someone's got drs or and the other guy doesn't you know and it kind of makes you forget for a split second that you know it's not great it's not perfect these little things aren't are almost masking a bigger problem for me anyway i I think the the phrase that i would think about here is not using a sledgehammer to crack a nut do you know what I mean? The the whole F one doesn't need to be dismantled and put back together in a different way to to change how how it does. And people shouldn't. I don't think the people in charge should be looking at it that way. That when there's problems in Formula One, the thing that we need to do is turn the sport up, you know, upside down to um, achieve it. Um, I think it's a case that surely we they've. That they need to find find solutions to issues that that don't make people think that the sport is arbitrary and fickle and all about who gets the rule changes um, in their favour. Because at the moment, that's what's happening to Mercedes, realistically. Um, in a lot of ways, we should be applauding the fact that they've done the best job out there. They've created an, a monster of a car. Mm-hmm. Whilst everybody else has philandered, but the problem is they created a monster car, you know, at the time of massive rule change, um, and for a lot of fans, um, and I, I'm not necessarily one of them because I'm not, um, I'm not somebody who thinks that the only way is a V8 or a V10 or something like that, uh, or a V12. It's not a change that they wanted. They didn't want to go from V8s to V6 turbos. That wasn't the way that they wanted the sport to go. So not only are they losing something that they really wanted, they're now left in a situation where one team seems to have benefited massively to that whilst the other teams haven't. And again, not Mercedes' fault. They're doing the best job they can and that's all they can do. But that's what's happened. And so they're left with a feeling like, well, we've changed this to suit this one team. Um, 
Uh, and now the racing's pretty duff for anybody who's not a Mercedes or a Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg fan. Even if you're, even if you are a fan of those guys, I think you know. You're sure you're happy with the result. You're happy Lewis Hamilton's winning, but you know it isn't good. And anybody who says it is 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 lying. Simple as that. It's not good. It's not good racing. Watching Hamilton and Rosberg drive away from the, sta- the the rest of the field at the start, maintain a two-second gap for 20 laps, allow uh, hear Nico Rosberg's engineer tell him to wait for the next 40 laps before doing anything, and then attempting to do something only to not be able to do anything, and then they cross the line, isn't good racing. If you think it is, you're lying. You're kidding yourself. Well, ugh. I feel like we're complaining again now. Because... No, so did I slip into complaint mode there? <laughs> well, I think we both did, rather. And it... <laughs> let's um, let's be clear here. Um, I don't think the cars are a million miles away from being good racing cars. Um, I think the problem is, is that the rule changes that have happened have... Either through misapplication or, you know, deliberate um, ignorance, caused massive, massive disparity between um, not only the manufacturer teams but the customer teams as well. Because it, it's clear that even if you're a Mercedes customer, you're only there for better than uh, the Renaults um, and the non-works Ferrari, but you're never going to be close to the Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And the simple thing I think about that is that um, really, if you look at it, that's down to how complicated the engines are for anybody else to do their own engineering on. You, you know, the uh, manufacturer teams are fine um, because they're building their base. They've got all the infrastructure there to do it. You know, most of the F1 teams for the last however many years have been, um, you know, probably stripping out engineering in terms of and, and trying to get their aero up and running um it, it feels like in a way that maybe there's a bit of a lost art in engineering an engine but i don't even think that's necessarily possible with these engines um so i i, I don't know whether the thing that they should have done is is try to have made a, a simpler starting point for everybody and then allowed everybody to build up before doing the engine freeze rather than going you know bring an engine for 2014 um and then that's as good as it's going to get because we're going to start freezing everything down from there. So you best get in the best changes whilst you can. And that, uh, you know, that that's what's led to the kind of racing that we're getting. And again, it's because of what feels like a fairly arbitrary change. It's a change that probably had to happen, but just mismanaged from the, the people who were introducing it. And then that goes back to who's running the sport and all those other bits and pieces. And that's probably, yeah, you know, another podcast in and of itself, really. You're listening to the last lap podcast. F1 for fans by fans. What do you think goes happens from here? Do you think Ferrari will get any closer? Uh, well, Arriva Benny has apparently said that he thinks that their pace was masked in Canada. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think that's the thing that you say when your car has been, hopelessly outclassed in a race i think you go oh well wasn't a good race for us but uh we'll be closer the next time all the bloody teams say that (laughs) 
they all say that when they've had a bad race, they go, well, this race didn't really suit us, but, you know, we'll be back there that time. You know, the McLarens have been saying it every, every race this season, pretty much. Well, not this race, but next race, you just wait and see. We'll be faster. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't believe that they're catching the Mercedes up. If anything, I think the Mercedes are getting farther away. 40 seconds difference this time. And I know Raikkonen had a spin and ended up behind Bottas, but Bottas was 40 seconds behind the Mercedes. And you can't tell me that those last few laps, they were going full out, I don't reckon. I reckon no, them. definitely not. They'd have been saving and stuff. Yeah. So a, That kind of goes back again to the point we were making earlier. That it's, all, it's all management. I, I can't... I, they're ne- no, the drivers are never on... Never on the limit at no point during a Formula One race. But that's because they can't, because uh, as we said before, and again, it was in the article, they can't go full out for the horse because the parts aren't designed to take it. The parts are designed to be as good as they can be on average for the whole race. They're not designed to say, I will last you going full throttle the whole race. What they should do then is they should take away communication between the pit wall and the car. And just leave it up to the driver, and if he feels the part going off, and then if he if he has a reliability problem, then tough, you know, <laughs> like, that might make it make it a bit more interesting. Because not only do you not get any decent racing, you don't get anybody putting it in the wall because the cars are too easy to drive now; they're not on the limit, and you don't get any reliabilities uh, uh, failures because they can just manage all the problems. So you just get. Whoever qualifies one, two, and three, finishing in one, two, and three. So unless they take away something, but like from those options, we're we're just going to continue to end up with the processional races. Like this was Canada. There was no safety cars because nobody crashed or anything. There was no incidents because they're too easy to drive. Then I think it was Mark Webber recently made a point that. He's, I think he said he was glad he was out of the sport now because the cars aren't fun to drive. I can totally see where he's coming from with that. Yeah, uh, I think David Coulthard has said the same thing. Coulthard the, as well, yeah. It was, yeah. And um, I think he, I think Brundle's mentioned it as well. And I, I can, you can see why, can't you? Because there's just no. You can you take a look at your watch, <laughs> check the time, maybe check some emails on your iPhone, you know. You probably can do that from the steering wheel of your car these other, days. Other, other like... smartphones are available. <laughs> <laughs> you know what um, I mean? But, you know, uh, to jump down the you know, the order at Canada, it, listen to Fernando Alonso saying exactly the same thing. And I want to save fuel. I want to have fun. I want to, do you know what I mean? And it's, it's just kind of thinking, well, you know, if a team in McLaren's position is still doing the same thing, you know, that they won't build anything any any extra reliability in because the philosophy is you know shave half a mil off here to save 0.1 seconds even if that means maybe we have to manage this this component you know in a car that's more likely to break down than finish i think that tells you everything doesn't it really that you're left with um there's no there's no wiggle room there's nothing for the drivers to do it's all about driving at your prescribed pace by the team on the wall the wall i think that's it in a nutshell (laughs) until told otherwise yeah drivers aren't driving the cars how they want to drive them they're driving it how they're told that's a good phrase prescribed pace 
and that's that's the issue. It feels to me like they aren't trying to drive cars as fast as they can go. No, have you ever driven a boat like a speedboat with an engine on it? <laughs> Not personally, no. Okay. So the accelerator on a speedboat is just a lever that goes forward and back, and that tells you how fast you're going. And that to me feels like what Formula One is now, in that there is a lever somewhere that that says, you know, fastest, fast, medium, <laughs> slow, slowest. And then that all the drivers are doing realistically is flicking that switch to whatever the pit will tell them the setting needs to be then. And then they drive at that pace and no quicker. And then when they can go faster than they, oh, great, I get to put it into fastest for 10 laps. I know the tyres are gone. Great. Better put that back into medium. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. That's all they're doing. It's all flicking between, you know, the average setting to make the average parts work the average fastest time. Formula One is average. It's an average racing series if we continue this way. The yeah, aggregate yeah. of of parts and times and not about speed and ability and racing. And driving, yeah. And the most importantly, and driving fast. Sigh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, let's talk about everybody else in the race. Uh, good result for Valtteri Bottas in third, although slightly fortunate that uh, Kimi had a very... Odd, that very odd spin at the hairpin. Um, yeah. Which is I think, coming... I think Kimmy's suffering under these regs. They just don't... Because he wants to drive... He's a dry, he's a racer. Yeah. He wants to drive fast, man. I, I think Formula One has just gone away from the Kimi Raikkonens of the world. That's not his fault. People have a style of driving, and sometimes that suits the series, and sometimes that doesn't. And some people... I think can do that um, cerebral job. You know, a Sebastian Vettel, the sport is perfect for right now, isn't it? Realistically, mm-hmm. that kind of driver that can manage 16 million things in his mind all the time, knows the where the three people in front of him on the track are and the three people behind him whilst juggling his brake temps and all those bits and pieces. And I think Kimi Räikkönen just doesn't want to think about those things. No, he it just, just wants, wants to, to drive. The, he just wants to get in, put the accelerator pedal down to the floor and drive. And like you say, it's kind of... It's evolved in a different direction from Kimi Räikkönen, I think. Um... As you said, Sebastian Vettel, very good result uh, coming in fifth. And again, another good result for Felipe Massa coming in sixth. Both starting uh, 18th and 17th on the grid, I believe. Um, Seb Seb was my driver of the day purely just because of the entertainment yeah. that he provided uh, more than more than anybody else. If it wasn't for him, could have had a, an early siesta. I... I'm amazed that I get to say this, but in seventh, Pastor Maldonado in the Lotus. Um, and the last uh, car on the lead lap as well. Yes, true enough. Um, some good pace from the Lotuses this week. I, I'd be quite nice if that was something that they they could build upon, really. I do have a slight feeling that they, they might slip back down. Well, oh, excuse me, sorry. <clears throat> I suspect that next race they will be behind the Red Bulls again. Um, who this track was never going to, to suit, no, realistically. No, that's true. Um, so that's probably going to happen. But it would be nice to think that maybe as a team that they'd be able to to take this forward and, and, and keep the car going. Because um, they've done 
they've done a real a really good job realistically swapping engine manufacturers um building the car up again and getting it where it is i think is a task that's not really been recognized i think enough by the the, the you know the tv pundits and bits and pieces it's a bit of a miracle really just because they haven't done the the flat out turnaround that williams did to you know from terrible to second best on the grid i don't think uh, you know lotus are a much smaller team with a much smaller history i think of uh, and that can't be underestimated in terms of the you know the depth of knowledge william have compared to lotus what they've done i think is is really impressive seriously impressive Especially when one of your drivers is Pastor Maldonado. That's it. You're, you're working with an automatic. <laughs> you, are, you are 50% down in terms of available parts at any one time. <laughs> Simply on that fact. Le <laughs> uh, Mans man, winner. Man, I was going to say man of the moment. Uh, <laughs> Nico Hockenberg in eighth. Um, Danny Kvyat. Um, again, ahead of uh, ahead of his teammate. Second, um, second race in a row. Rather... Sticking two fingers up at Helmut Marco for suggesting that, um, you know, he was easily replaced. Uh, I think that's uh, um, some some good results for Danny in those um, in these last w- couple of races. I wonder if uh, Danny Ricardo's kind of suffering a little bit, just a little, just a little bit, from the the Kimi Raikkonen syndrome of wanting to just get get his foot down and, and go fast and. And uh, and not being allowed to do that is kind of hampering him a little bit. I think the uh, I think the thing is is that um, obviously last year the the Renault was still providing some amount of drivability, and I think this year it it's gone in a completely different way, and he's readapting whilst Danny is just Daniel Kvyat is just getting into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 there's less for him to change to adapt to a new car. You know, Daniel's gone from a pretty good car to a terrible, terrible car, um, and he's not. And it's worth remembering, you know, what he's he's three seasons in Formula One. You know, he's not he's not a veteran of the sport. That's true. It's That's not like true. you know um, he's got a wealth of experience, and he's leading the team as well. You know, after three seasons in Formula One, mm, okay. Um, you know, uh, uh, it's a difficult position to be in. I think for for him, um, I guess. I guess you say, look at what happened to Vettel last season and look what he's doing now. It isn't about driver talent; it's about how the car handles for that driver with, with their driving stuff. So yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Seb didn't lose any of his talent last season just because he couldn't drive that car it's just one of those things uh roman grosjean um <laughs> in 10th place oh silly dear boy. Silly what a boy. silly silly little man <laughs> saying he sounded like he was about to cry as well did you hear, did you hear will stevens on the radio it was brilliant he was just like in his little english accent i was like what does he want me to do man move out the way just disappear and the wall. Like he, <laughs> he, was said, get, he was getting all aggro and i love uh, it was it was really good he said he keeps on cutting in front of me every single time where does he expect me to go off the track <laughs> it was brilliant it was, it was a bit of personality that you sometimes don't see well it's really nice and it's really kind of nice to see that just because you're driving in the marisha three laps down or whatever and being passed by everybody 
that you're still taking it seriously. You're taking your race seriously. And, you know, just because some silly Swiss Frenchman <laughs> comes in and takes your front, wi- your front wing off. It's, you know, it's not just it doesn't mean anything just because that's where you are. You know, so, yeah, fair play to Will Stevens. I rather, yeah, I, 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 I rather he rather indeed did himself to me with that uh, little one. Um, so next up, uh, Sergio Perez in the Force India. Um, Carlos Sainz. Uh, for 12th place in the Toro Rosso, which realistically, I, I think... Um, given the given was, the engine in that car, I don't think they were ever going to... It was as good as that car was going to do. And I think that if any com, com, compared to where his teammate um, ended up, you know, the uh, wunderkind that everybody thinks is the next Michael Schumacher, um, I think everybody's, everybody's very quietly missing out that Carlos Sainz is actually doing overall a better job than Max Verstappen. Um, consistently, he might have about twelve penalties or something. To take <laughs> <Yeah>. in this <laughs> race, <laughs> I think he's got. I think he's got another three or four to take next week, possibly. I don't know. Um, but but still, I mean, the whole point was that you know um, that that they weren't that they didn't qualify all that different. But you know, basically, Carlos Steins managed to stay in front of Daniel Ricciardo in the Red Bull, Marcus Ericsson in the Sauber, uh, and his team and. Uh, his teammate and Felipe Nezra in the Sauber. Yeah, he wasn't going to be much further up than that, given that, you know, both the Force Indias have Mercedes, yep. Lotus has Mercedes, Williams has Mercedes bar, and the Ferrari's got the works Ferrari. So really, science isn't isn't going to get much more out of this particular track. So we could probably feel pretty pretty satisfied. When you're in a Toro, so you are going to get races like this where, where you aren't going to score points. And all you can do on those days is beat your teammate, which you did. So You're listening to the Last Lap Podcast. Yes. Um, I'd kind of rather run down the list of everybody. Um, so Will Stevens was the last classified finisher uh, four laps down. Um, we lost uh, Roberto Meri, um, and both of the McLarens. <laughs> well, <laughs> there just, you go. Formula One has never been more reliable in the history of the sport, except for <laughs> except for McLaren. Uh, it's almost like a spoof film or something. <laughs> it's it's so difficult to, and it must be so difficult for everybody to remain positive. And uh, you know, wasn't it rather typical of the press to overblow? Fernando's comments, you know. Yeah, Brando was wetting himself on the on the commentary. He was like, "Oh, we've finally seen a little bit of, you know, uh, aggression from Fernando." He was properly getting excited that Fernando had like. <laughs> do you not think that both Jensen and Fernando have said in the you know the debriefs, "This is pretty shit, guys." Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Things. This is not good for you know for us for anything. Sort it out. Don't don't keep on doing this to us. They don't said shocked. all of these things. They're just not saying it publicly. Just because you happen to catch it on the radio once, it's just like what? And what difference is that between that and Kimi Räikkönen saying "Leave me alone"? I know what I'm doing. It's no different, really. But you know, because people want to try and make a story out of it, suddenly it's you know frustrated. Fernando blows top at McLaren bosses. Like no. He didn't want to. He didn't want to say fuel when it wasn't going to do him any good. He'd have. He was just said, "I'd rather have run out of fuel and driven <laughs> fast than not bother 
Uh, and especially is in the end, it didn't matter because he didn't make it to the end of the race anyway. I'm I'm genuinely becoming quite concerned that these current this current you know iteration of Formula One, we're going to lose guys like Kimi Raikkonen and Fernando Alonso because it doesn't suit them, and 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 that would be a real shame if they chose to retire maybe a year or two before before they perhaps would have otherwise done. Uh, because they're not they're not loving life anymore, and we'll end up with I don't know. There'll be other guys coming through, I'm sure, to take their place. But uh, it's just the Formula One will be a sadder place when you don't have personalities like uh, the personality more so than their their, uh, their necessarily their driving style. As good as their driving style is, you need that kind of little that bit of attitude on the radio that you don't see from a lot of these younger guys because they're so media-whipped by the teams. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly true. I, mean, I guess the um, the real problem, I, I, I suppose, when it comes down to it, is um, what what can you what can you do for? for drivers like that do you know what I mean it's it's the drivers who have been there long enough to remember when things weren't this way when I remember when this were all fields and you know it, I'm sure there are certain things that they wouldn't swap back to their old racing for Toffee you know but um, again it, it comes down to I think um what what kind of racing Formula One wants to make it, um, and it, you know it has the choice to do it. It has the choice to go out and race however it wants. Um, it's just does it want to do this kind of uber technical? Um, there's a billion bits on the car that all do a billion things, and that that's how we're going to determine what the best you know combination is. Or do we try and work backwards from there and say there's less stuff on the car, um, but with more freedom to innovate on the things that are left on the car? Um, And it's a case that it's a steady development race, um, but developing in five or six areas instead of a a billion. Um, I think think I'm in favour of the latter scenario which you described there strip it down four wheels engine steering wheel brakes some metal send them out there <laughs> you know obviously not quite as literal as that but you get the point you know I, I, i'm not into I'm, I'm i'm not really like i'm nowhere near like into the technical side of formula one and, and things like that like that's not that's not why i watch the sport so i'm quite happy to see a lot of the stuff taken away Yeah, I mean, I think I am as well. I just, again, it's my it's my analogy of sledgehammer sledgehammer to a nut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, taking yeah. everything away doesn't work. But there's got to be things that we can take away that don't, you know. Um, and if what would you do if we took away DRS, for instance? You know, what would that mean? Let's analyze what it would mean to take that away from the sport. 
or let's take away the Ur's boost and apply that that power in a different way that's more equal and means that a bad car can't you know can't hold up a good car because it saves um saves its Ur's boost or do we say that that's a good thing that there is Ur's boost there to allow a car to defend you know in these situations and really analyze what each thing we've set up in the rules what what is it meant to achieve is it achieving it and in achieving it does it give us the formula one that we want and i think there's got to be things that we can take away things that don't need to be there things that are superfluous to the sport in terms of how it should be driven and how it should be viewed or how the fans are able to view it i just think there's just got to be things that can go um i agree it, it doesn't need to keep on getting more and more complicated every single time. There don't need to be more and more regulations every season, necessarily. But it would be quite good if the cars stayed fairly similar for a bit, you would have thought, to allow the teams to develop something. But they seem to have artificially wanted to do that as well by, by you know freezing the engine and saying, oh, well, we don't want things to change too much because blah. But that's not almost the right way. There's always The law of diminishing returns will always catch up with anything. There will always be a point where there's only so much you can do to an engine before, you know, the the tweaks you make to it are for, you know, 0.001 of a second <laughs> by, you know, radically altering a bolt or something like that. So <clears throat> the, the sport has a tendency to sort itself out after a rule change, but not if we keep on making rule changes every single season like we seem to have done for the last five or six seasons. This would be my thoughts anyway. Yeah, more or less agree. More or less, do you agree with me, God damn it? <laughs> we generally do. <laughs> um, so that was Canada. That was Canada. I was so disappointed. We needed rain, really, to spice it up. But uh, the fact that not one car went into the wall of champions, pretty much, that, that rubber stamps a poor Canadian Grand Prix for me. Like barely anybody touched the wall either. Yeah, like exactly. usually you are you can assure yourself of that really cool slow-mo shot where somebody bangs up against it and then sparks come off the rim and all the other bits and pieces and you go like, ooh, that was close. Um uh, they didn't have any of that either, so yeah, just just dull. Just a dull Canadian Grand Prix and they don't happen very often. Nope. And it's Austria next. Oh that should be interesting. It's a different circuit, different type of circuit. So be interesting to see who picks up an advantage there or not. Shorter, more sort of sprinty rather than long, long straights. Uh, not so many uh, sort of medium speed speed corners. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to it, to be fair. Although I doubt the that Red Bull are very <laughs> going to be that happy about going there because yeah, it's a home Grand Prix and it's pretty much custom designed track to not work with their car <laughs> well the funniest thing isn't it is that they've essentially it's the Red Bull ring that they brought back specifically and it <laughs> look at things there's a reasonable chance that they may never win it before they leave the sport ah, yeah absolutely <laughs> it's be the worst going to be the worst investment isn't it you sunk millions of pounds into updating a tiny little track in the middle of Austria to F1 level one specification and then you never win on it and it's like oh okay <laughs> um uh like i'm i'm still looking forward to it like i said because it's because it's an old school track really and it, it's just a bit different than everything else that we see um you know 
it had it had a fairly good race last season, so. Yeah, but I imagine the Williamses will be pretty quick again. Yeah, all the Merc powered cars, similar to Canada, really. Yeah, but in a different way, isn't it? It's not. Um, they're not uber long straights like they are in in Canada. Um, the track's more even, middling straights, I guess. You yeah, mean. yeah. Okay, there's not quite so much emphasis on pure uh, out and out top end. Um, so let's take a look at what's going on in the Formula One news. The final lap podcast. And there's not really very much going on in the Formula One oh. news other than Nico Hockenberg winning Le Mans, which we kind of covered. A um, couple of bits and bobs. Uh, they've knighted Patrick Head. Oh, yes, I saw that. That was, uh, um, that was nice to see. Um, yeah, uh, it's not yeah, not very often you get, you know, a, a, a Formula One tech guy knighted. Uh, two in one team. Yeah, right, well, there you go. And to be fair, probably, you know, is as good as anybody that's done that that particular role in Formula One. Uh, and, and, and longevity as well, more than anything. Seems like Patrick Head's been about forever. Uh, not not about now, of course, but sixty nine, I'm sure he can he can he's earned a decent retirement. Oh so. yeah, absolutely. Blimey. Um But nonetheless a good guy. I like Patrick Head, so quite happy to see that. He's always been a bit kind of I think he's always come across as a fairly open and honest person. Yeah. And whenever he he was asked a question, he didn't ever seem to really be to want to give a political answer or anything. He'd rather answer it sort of directly, which is which is nice. Didn't say don't say that a lot from sort of high profile people in teams these days. Uh, looks like um, Force India will finally get their uh, new spec um, car for Silverstone <laughs> halfway through the season. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wonder who's going to go first, Russia or Force India. You think it's that bad for Force India? Uh, don't see how it can't be. Taking half a season to get your 2015. What was the point? They might as well have just res, re, you know raced the 2014 spec car the whole season and then and then just built a 2016 car. Yeah, gone. Well, what, well, what are we going to change for 2016? And just let's just go from it that way and stuff. Or the car that they've got now is getting decent enough results that they can take over. So, well, they are ahead of the Salvers, so they're never going to come in the, like the last four places, probably. Yeah, and they're going to get points on the on the tracks with the Toro Rossos haven't got the the straight line yeah. speed. The Red Bulls maybe don't have the greatest to set up there too. So they're going to get points. They're go- they're not going to end up like. That season, Williams had two or three years ago, where they had like one solitary point or something like that. Yeah. They're going to they're going to pick up, you know, an eighth and a ninth and a seventh here and there. And if something a bit mad goes on, they might nick a fifth or a sixth, you know. So that's what's interesting is that they're still getting decent-ish results, despite perhaps you know being pretty close to to going over the edge financially. Yeah, I guess it. I guess a lot would depend on whether where they end up in the constructors. Really, when it all shakes out, um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, what if the if this this new spec car is uh, is poor? I, could, I suppose they could drop right down. It's just it's difficult. I just uh, I don't know. And unless the rest of the season just becomes, you know, testing, and all they're going to do is kind of run the car, see what they can get out of it, put as you know, and just keep on changing and updating and ready for 2016 but then you know that, that could cost them that could cost them against the Toro Rosses and the Saubers realistically I mean I don't really know what's happened to the Sauber particularly from you know from the pace it had in Aus- Australia now uh, the only thing I can suggest about that is that there's nothing being added to that car it's the only reason why they, they must they've gone consistently further and further down the grid is that that car must be pretty much the same as it went in Australia I think they struggle I mean I know they've got NASA's sponsorship now but I think they've generally struggled to generate funds over the last few years so yeah probably probably is that probably just don't have the financial resources capable of constantly churning out new bits um Nigel Mansell's been talking rubbish this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said a lot of things, a lot of interesting things, a lot of strange things. Um, one that seems to have caught is that he believes that Lewis Hamilton could uh, equal Michael Schumacher's records. Possible. Mm, maybe some of them, depending on what happens with the Merck, but he isn't going to win seven world titles. It doesn't there, seem like it, does it? There's no way Lewis Hamilton will win this title and another four before he's the end of his career. Don't I just don't believe that. I'll I'll prepare, I will be prepared to, to go pretty firmly on the record <laughs> on, on that one. He might get he'll get this one year probably, so I'll put him on three. Every chance he'll get four, he might even get five, but he won't win seven. No, he's not gonna win seven. There's no way Formula One will have, and for Lewis to equal uh, Michael, he'll need to win six world titles in a row, because that'll put him up to like thirty six. You know, he's not he's not winning six six world titles in a row. I'm just not having that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, it's a chance. Just, it, it, it's... not a chance. Formula One's gate. Imagine Formula, going back from now to six years back now, and like, at Brom were dominating in two thousand and nine. You know, and now look look what we've seen in that time. We've seen the arrival of Red Bull and then the demise of Red Bull and the arrival of Mercedes and the stagnation of Ferrari. So much happens in five years in Formula One. There's five years Mercedes could be trundling around the back like the McLaren Honda is right now. Yeah, just uh, you know. It, well, it's entirely it's possible, happening. isn't it? Is that that, that that they'll reach a peak that they cannot better. Uh, as a team, and then other teams will just surpass them. I mean, it, it does, it does happen. Whether it, whether it's a rule change or whether it's just yeah. that you you happen to build an off car or it's just far too many variables, you know. And that'll put Lewis, like I say, that'll put Lewis like thirty six. So yeah, it's just if he if he goes one season without winning the title, then he's already, you know, needs to race till he's thirty seven. If he goes two seasons without winning a title, he needs to race till he's thirty eight to equal the record. It's just. 
unrealistic. It, it seems unlikely, I think. It, it's just a little bit, you know, somewhat premature that a man on two world titles, <laughs> and Nigel Mansell says he's going to equal seven world titles, you know, or, or um, compare him to a seven world time, seven world title list. He might get the polls, because uh, Lewis is pretty good at putting it on poll, and Schumacher's got 68, and Lewis has got uh, 44. So he's still 24 away, 25 to break the record, which that's is... only one season these days. Yeah, that's only... Well, yeah, even if he takes one in two, he could have that in two seasons. So he might get the polls. Every, I mean, having sat and thought about the numbers like that, he probably will get the polls. But, um... Yeah. What's he got? He's... It's 37 victories, whereas Michael had 91. So he still needs another 50 Grand Prix wins. So even if he wins every race, you need to win every race for the next three seasons to beat Schumacher's win record. Mm -hmm. I just... Doesn't, doesn't seem like it, it? It's just not realistic. It's not like, fair enough if he was maybe 10 behind or something, start talking about it then, but Mansell seems to have jumped the gun a little bit. Uh, the other thing is, it's just interesting reading those stats, is that Lewis has had 44 poles and only 37 wins. So he's he's, he's lost more, you know, he's, he's not, his win to pole ratio is, is on pole more than he's won, whereas Michael has won 91 wins from only 68 poles. So he was winning Grand Prix when he wasn't putting it on pole, whereas the kind of opposite is the truth for Lewis. I just thought it was a little bit interesting. Mm. Maybe a sign of the times that it was easier to win from further back back then, maybe. Possibly. Possibly. You're listening to The Last Lap Podcast. F1, four fans, by fans. McLaren have uh, sorted out their short nose design and managed to get it through um, the FIA crash testing. So that will be ready for Austria. So it'll be interesting. Um, again, this seemed to cause <laughs> nothing but comments from people saying, oh, well, what they really need is a new, you know, a new, a, engine. A new engine. Or uh, <laughs> why are they bothering to do this? They need to get a new engine. It's just like, well, what do you expect them to do? Not develop the car until the engine's good. I think it's probably just as well that they try and find whatever advantages they can elsewhere, whilst the engine is such a terrible bag of dog poop. Then, um, you know, I just didn't, I didn't quite get it. Like people seem to be angry <laughs> that they were developing the car in some way that wasn't the engine. It's just like, but that's not them. They, they bought yeah, the engine from Honda. Like the first, the first comment on Planet F One is, "Um, excuse me, McLaren. The problem is not the nose; it's at the other end of the car." <laughs> it's like, yeah, but McLaren don't build that end of the car. They build the front end of the car. So, funnily enough, they've been working on it. There you go. Um. <laughs> In related news, Honda said that they would be open to su- to supplying a second team with engines next season, <laughs> but have not yet <laughs> approached. I wonder why. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be at the front of that queue. That's a phenomenal story. <laughs> it's oh. nice. That, it's kind of nice that, you, that they're that optimistic, though, I think. That shows a level of commitment, doesn't it? It's saying, well, look, if anybody really wants to have one, they can have one. You know, we're not saying yeah. no. <laughs> Quote's brilliant. Unfortunately, I don't have any offers right now, said boss Yasuri Ashari. Yeah. 
I liked, I liked, maybe after the summer break, I hope someone calls me and says, please give me your good engine. <laughs> right now we don't have it, but I hope you hope we get it. <laughs> oh. uh, that's brilliant. That's such a brilliant oh, way of saying it. Yeah, it's, it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up when you've got a decent one, if you would please, and send it to me. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, that is... Uh, there's there's been more more rumours that uh, Renault are looking and are open to to getting another team in Formula One, um, <clears throat> whether that was buying a Taurus or coming yeah, in with somebody. Just, yeah, they'll just buy. They might even just buy a Red Bull if Dietrich has enough, you know. Um, and that, I think there's, there's some interesting things going on because there's been a lot of moves from Mac- McLaren to promote. To, Kevin Magnussen and Ron Dennis saying things like, you know, the Danish government should be investing in him. And so it'd just be interesting to see this this new team other than Haas racing, where they sort of emerge from and, uh, you know, who they work with and stuff. And I we just wonder if they'll end up being some kind of McLaren partnership with them potentially. And um, you see K-Mag driving in a... Um, we're in a Haas next year. Well, not in a Haas because they're with they're with Ferrari. So I I get the feeling that we'll probably be a Ferrari young driver in in the Haas team plus whichever one Gene Haas wants you know chooses to get in probably an American. Mm. Yeah, um, well, I, I, but you know somebody's got to take advantage of this this other team that the FIA want to to come in and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, the sensible thing for anybody to do these days would be to get a B spec car out going because because Rebel have proved. If you want to maintain, you know, um, a good set of driver lineups, and you don't want to pay astronomical fees for them, it's probably actually cheaper to run a, form- a second Formula One B team than it is to pay Fernando Alonso six million million pounds a season because he's the best driver out there. Because that's all you can do is hire in the best guy, and then if you're a team, you've got to hire in the best guy. But you know. You- if you've got a young driver program, you've got to get them on the grid and you've got to give them a chance. And if Absolutely. the chances aren't coming in your front car, give them yeah, a second car. It'd be cool to see McLaren have some kind of setup like that because that means you could end up having Jensen and Fernando staying around for another two or three years in the top team and see Magnussen and Van Dorm on the grid, which is what we both want to see mm-hmm. in some capacity. Uh, but I, I, I'm dying to see Van Dorn on the grid, and and to, to an extent K Mag, but more so Van Dorn. Uh, but I don't want to lose Jensen or Fernando anytime soon. So yeah, it seems like the best the best solution if they can set something up. It's not not going to be easy, not going to happen overnight. But it'd be nice to see. Yeah, it, I guess it all depends on whether they end up being a partner with the the new team or whether they say, well, look, we'll pay. You know, we'll pay. The guy, you know, KMAG salary, or mm-hmm. the, the Danish government will pay part of KMAG salary and will pay the other bit, and you know, you you therefore get an ex, a semi-experienced Formula One driver who's been in and around a top Formula One team to help, you know, help bring yeah, your yeah. team on and help bring him on as a driver, on as a driver, but you know, as a team player, he knows he knows what to do. If you're a brand new team and you turn up with Magnussen and Van Dorm and your seats, <laughs> you know, you're going to be. Delighted. You would be laughing, really. It's like being a championship football team and getting, you know, like a Man United and an Arsenal striker on loan. The young kids that are clearly full of bags of potential. Like, you know, you're getting two people in that car that realistically probably already have the talent above that level. So, yeah, you'd be absolutely thrilled. And it'd be nice. To see, it'd be interesting to see who who has get then, given they'll link up with Ferrari. I'm not even. 
all that sure who's in the Ferrari Young Driver program these days, to be honest. You got who? Who's, do you know who it is? Um, I did. Um, find out for me, Sean. I hear you tippy tapping <laughs> away on Google. Let's uh, have a look. Let's see if we can find anything. I don't really recognise any of the names off the top of the top of the bat. Antonio Fuco, Rafael Martiello. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rafael Martiello, I do. Um, yeah he was um he's getting some free practice runs um this year it's in gp2 currently interestingly yeah yeah and of course the other one was uh poor jules oh yes um it's probably i thinking about explains why um uh, esteban gutierrez is there uh reserve or test driver i can't remember which one he is um there's also apparently a Canadian called Lance Stroll. I don't know anything about him. I've heard the name. He's um, in European F3. Uh, Antonio Fioco's in GP3 and Martiello's in GP2. So Martiello, you would assume, is the one closest to... Yes, like I say, he's getting some um, He's getting some free practice runouts with Ferrari. So um... It's apparently doing a bit of uh, reserve for Sauber as well, according to his Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, which makes sense, given that Sauber have always <laughs> traditionally been the uh, the Ferrari B team, almost unofficially. But I don't know much about the guy. Don't know if he's got any talent. Time will tell. No, no. I, uh, the you tend not to see a lot of the Ferrari um, young drivers anyway. You see the McLaren guys pop up and the Red Bull guys pop up. You don't um, you don't hey. hear about the Ferrari guys so much. Here's an interesting one. Marciello achieved his first GP2 victory in the feature race at Spa-Francorchamps after an intense fight with McLaren junior driver Stoffel van Dorn. So, he might, maybe if he's given Stoffel a good go, then he's probably got something. But, as we've seen before, he has good GP2 drivers that haven't quite made the grade in Formula 1. So, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, you know, you look at, um, you know, like, at, like Felipe Nasa, really. It didn't have a particularly, you know, was good in GP2, but not, you know, um, I don't think he won. He didn't. No, he didn't win a world title. So, oh, well, but the GP2 equivalent of a world championship. But he's he's clearly a lot better than you know. Uh, he's clearly been able to do the step up to Formula One. That, you know, which Charlie and Palmer can't get out of doing a few um, practice sessions realistically. Um, Fabio Lima was another one who won the um who won it and didn't do much and then of course there was David Valsecchi who won it and then sat <laughs> sat at, um I think it was when they were still called Renault maybe uh or maybe it was Lotus then I can't remember uh, oh, it was Lotus did nothing yeah, yeah did nothing but you go back through the um go back through the list and and but it's interesting that only in the last the last three years the GP2 guys have done nothing. Like Julian Palmer, Fabio Lima, David Valsecchi, the last three champions, not a Formula One race to their name, but before that, it's a who's who of Formula One drivers. Roman Grosjean, Paso Maldonado, Nico Hülkenberg, Timo Glock, Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg. So 
It's interesting that there seems to be a trend developing where the GP2 champions are having difficulty getting the seats. Yeah, I'm... I wonder how much of it is that um, the emphasis has now gone from independent races um, with backing to young drivers for teams, if you see what I mean. So, you know, Julian Palmer, I, I don't think was part of any young drivers program. He's just been picked up because he won GP2 to be a reserve mm-hmm. driver. As opposed to somebody like Stoffel van Dorn or Kevin Magnussen, who are products of a young driver program, so therefore I've been with McLaren and are, you know backed by McLaren in whatever team they're driving for for a long time. And, and the point is that um, if you're an independent without that backing, you are just in a lottery of rolling the dice and seeing if you can, yeah. you know, either you can pay enough money into a team to get a drive, or people think that you're good enough for a drive. Whereas if you're part of a young driver program, there's a re- you know there's a reasonable chance that you will get a shot at F1. Not a guaranteed chance because if you look at the Red Bull young driver program, there's so many names on there that we've never got to hear um, hear about. Or you saw end up in different like Karen Chandock was on the uh, Red Bull young driver program, but he never drove for Red Bull or Toro Rosso. Do you know what I mean? It, it's mm-hmm. like, but he got a better shot because you know he came in from that sort of with that backing and i think that's that's the interesting thing is that actually winning gp2 is not a ticket to formula 1 but it, it, it's it it's still the only other way it's still the feeder series for it really you know in, in that way but it it doesn't automatically being good in gp2 doesn't automatically mean somebody will pick you up no uh, definitely you could, not you could win win the championship and lot, miss yeah, out on a drive a lot of the second and thirds have, have been picked up as well. Like Sergio Perez was second, he didn't win it. Vitaly Petrov didn't win it. Bruno Senna didn't win it. Heike Kovalainen didn't win it. Jules Bianchi didn't win it. Esteban Gutierrez didn't win it. And these guys have all been picked up. So Felipe Nasa didn't win it. So it's, it's an interesting one. I don't see enough GP2. I really wish to watch it more, but I never seem to find the time. It's it, to me, it's the same as Formula E, and I think there's actually probably more exciting racing going on in both of those formula. I'm but sure there is. They're not they're not promoted or on at times that seem to allow me to watch them. And Formula E seems to be the worst from that. They've managed to pick up this to be promoted on free to air TV, but they've been stuck on ITV4. Never see anything advertised about that. But everybody has been talking about how good the action is in Formula E. That the racing's actually very good and and closer and things happen. Do you not mean during a race? There is actual overtaking. It's in, it's in London the next one, uh, I think, and it's live. So I'm going to try and catch it. I've seen an advert for it this today. I was watching whatever was on ITV4 today, the England game, and uh, and I seen an advert for it there. So I'm not sure if it's going to show it on ITV1 instead of ITV4 because it's the British one. Uh, Every chance that it'll be on ITV One. Is the British so, one the last round for Formula E? I think it might be. Not one hundred percent sure. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Maybe, maybe telling Porkies. Um. So yeah, the next race is is London, uh, and it is. Yeah, it's the last one. 
<laughs> we've completely and utterly missed the Formula E series that we said that we would try and cover. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. So maybe try and watch the last race. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if it's London, you know, it's just, I think it's a, it's a street circuit, isn't it? They're making it into a street circuit, so. Yeah, it's around London Bridge, I think. Yeah, isn't it? Battersea, it's Brown Battersea Park. Uh, okay. Uh, which goes by the Thames. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think there's uh, there's just, I don't know London all that well, but it's, it's in the east, I think, East London. So, yeah, it'll be good to see anyway. I mean, I'm going to try. I'll try and catch it. To be honest, the circuit doesn't look that exciting. But yeah. the the Formula E ones tend not to. But um, somebody made a great point that what they've um. What they've done differently to Formula One is, you know, they've not tried to go and say, you know, hey, look, we're racing on racetracks. They've gone, hey, we race in city centres. You know, we race in in places and that's that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really smart. You know, what they're not saying is, hey, look, we've got all the, you know, we're we're picking up and piggybacking off the heritage of all of these things or, or in fact, anything related to all of these places that you already know of. The only Formula One track that they used as far as I was aware was was Monaco and even then it's a shorter version and they drive it backwards <laughs> so did they, drive, did they drive Monaco backwards? I think so I, th- uh, I would have liked to have seen that I might try and go through them all and catch them online or something cause... maybe it was just short anyway I, 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 it was something like that it was definitely different than the, the Formula the 1 one. and I think you know well, that's, that's a smart way to, to do it is to say well look don't watch us if you want to watch Formula One but with electronic engines. Watch us because we're Formula E and we do things differently. And um, I have a feeling that, you know, it, it's not got negative press. Maybe not got a lot of press going on, but you don't hear people going, oh my God, Formula E is terrible. I'm never watching that again. You get people going, oh, I watched the Formula E race actually and it was quite good. And that seems to be the general thing is, I wasn't expecting this to be anywhere near as entertaining as it was, <laughs> but it was really good. I've got the Monaco circuit guide up, and yeah, it goes the right way, but they take out um, quite a lot of the track. They basically go through Sandevot, come up the hill, and then turn right and come out at like the um, the chicane. So they miss the tunnel, and they come out of the chicane and then go, uh, okay. go, go from the chicane and do the, the, and do the last sector through, so through the swimming pool and and then round the final turn and back onto the straight so they miss out a fair chunk but yeah still it's it's, it's basically Monaco as we know it but without without the tunnel and and the uh, the hairpin I think but yeah, I might try and catch them. I know we I say that. Well, like we said it six months ago, we'll try and watch them. You know, and now we're having a conversation again. Oh, but <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, hang on a minute. Oh god damn it! How- <coughs> oh, that sneeze took forever. <laughs> oh dear, sorry. That's quite all right. <laughs> So I think that probably uh, takes us nicely to the end of the uh, podcast for this week. Um, hopefully we try to steer away from being too negative about absolutely everything. I know we moaned a, a little bit, just a little bit. Um, but uh, I think I think hopefully we try to talk about some things other than uh, 
the things that everybody has been talking about, which is something that we try and do pretty much every show. We try and give you a bit of an alternative look on Formula One, um, our points of view, but not necessarily uh, all about just because that's what we think. Um, and if you like that kind of thing, then, well, hopefully you'll keep on tuning into us. Remember, you can always catch all of the latest episodes uh, straight from our website, uh, Um You can catch us on Twitter, where we'll always uh, post out the episode links there, or you can interact with us and talk about F1. So that's at LastLapPodcast. Always trip over that every single week. Um, or what a really good place to catch us and uh, have a chat with us and our fans is on Facebook. If you just search for The Last Lap Podcast and then like our page, you'll be able to post to the page and uh, talk about it, all the stories that we put up. And again, we put all the links to the episodes up on there. Um, and if you uh, have any mobile devices or want to download the podcast automatically without coming to any of those things, that's great. You can catch us on iTunes or on TuneIn, either of those two platforms. So available on um, uh uh, ios and android devices regardless um yeah you know subscribe up to those things and get the podcast delivered to you every week when you want it uh but i think for this week that's us done thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time bye bye cheers